Welcome to Rich in Life, a podcast for anyone looking to be entertained while picking up a few tips on life, luxury, and resilience. And now your host, Rich Irani. I want to introduce my guest. Today, I have Brian Hill from Fashion Rewired Podcast and probably one of the best audio voices you'll ever hear. So even if you don't love his guest, you have to listen to his podcast. I can listen to it all day. It's easy when I go running because his voice goes down like smooth wine. In any case, he talks to entrepreneurs from all walks of life to find out how they rewired, switched gears in order to get their life or business back on track. You know, one of my, actually, I had a few episodes I liked, one in particular, and it's so bad because I does, it's not because I like tragedy, but one of them was a woman who was a victim of domestic violence. Right, right. I mean, that, was, that was a crazy episode. And the other one was the woman who I think was an ex-anchor. I forgot who she was. And she came home to an empty house. Who was that? Vanessa Ramirez. Yes. I mean, she had she didn't see that coming. No, no. You know, she probably had a, a small feeling down low, but that was was pulling her away from her life anyway, right? And it kind of gave her an open door or a closed door uh, to push through to the new opportunities in life. And um, I've learned so much on the Fashion Rewired podcast, Rich, it being having you as a guest and uh, Laura, as well as Vanessa and, and 37 other guests so far. And um, I'm learning something every day. These rewires are really powerful moments. They really are. And when you hear stories like that about people rewiring and having to really change their personal life, it's like the shit gets real. I mean, yeah. it's not like business, you know, switching in business gears, which can also be real. But when you hear about people's personal lives and tragedies, that's that's scary. That's real stuff. It is. It is. You know, um, they're going to happen. Tragedies and hurdles in life. You and I both know that it's, it's how you choose to plow through them. And on any given day people get tired of the old them because of the tragedy or the life or the circumstances. And they just make up their mind and go in a different direction. And I believe at that crux, you rewire synapses in your brain. You just choose not to go that way anymore. And uh, no one can push you there. Life pushes you there. And when you choose to go there, you know, people do it to quit smoking, quit drugs, quit a bad relationship, whatever. It's when you decide it's time to rewire and then you can go in the right direction. And then I give everyone these blueprints action steps to kind of follow that can just put one foot in front of the other. See, that's what I love. And what I'm interested to learn is how did you come up with the phrase rewired? Because, and I'm going to tell you the reason why first, it's because it seems like that phrase makes it easier for me to want to try to change. You know, when people tell me to change your perspective and they give me all these, you know, psychology type phrases, it always seems so much heavier and harder. But when I was a guest on your podcast, I didn't realize how many times I've rewired. And when you say it like that, it makes it seem more attainable. So how, sure. again, back to my original question, how did you come up with the term rewired? I get goosebumps actually when you said that. I went through my own rewired. I'm, I'm going through constant ones. Um, I lost my mom to cancer. I'm tough sorry. battle. And thank you. And when you have, you know, your, your partner, your, your biggest fan in your corner and things are rosy, right? And then that fan is gone in your corner. Again, you have to choose either you're going to, you know, everybody would be okay if you just got down in the dumps and stayed there. Everybody would understand, right? Or you choose to go in this different direction. And without having someone pat me on the back, I had to rewire 
what really got me motivated and what will push me forward. And I was just looking for something that made sense in fashion, which is what I, my passion is about and rewired my life together. No one had, had these words together before. And it sounded very familiar. And like you said, it, it helped people to understand, oh, rewire, right? And then I was just very lucky. Honestly, I was sitting with a friend. We we're at a bar having some drinks and just kind of telling her my life and what I thought. And it just kind of came to me. And I really owe a lot for her to give me those shots that day or whatever it was. But uh, when I said it to her, she said, oh, that is a real statement. And then I asked more people. And it's like, oh, isn't that a thing already? I was like, mm, not really. But it just kept plowing through. And I talked to a few people like yourself that were uh, business professionals and had overcome some real big hurdles. And they all said, yeah, put me on the podcast. I want to talk about my rewire. You know, it's amazing. And I'm sorry, I don't want to bring up old wounds. But when you talk about your mom, I went through a similar situation. I lost my mom to Alzheimer's, which was a very long disease. And now that I'm looking back, I also rewired without knowing that I rewired. And sure. for you, how important is it for people to be aware that they have to rewire their brain, whether it's for business, personal relationships, getting along with family, dealing with death or, or illness. How important is it for people to know that they need to rewire? Man, well, I'm going to go back one step. When you and I were talking on the podcast and we identified the fact that your mom had so much confidence in you of being such a stylish young person, right? And then you didn't realize it, but behind the scenes, she was telling your brother that right? Which is yeah. building confidence in him and you. And so I also felt that, but not that I know you lost your mom, but now I really see it now that you explain that because I was the same way. She booked a lot of confidence in me. And then when that confidence is gone, you're like, well, you know, who am I really? Right. And so I feel that people really should rewire because they've got to put the, the foot in front of the other. They've got to take it one day at a time. They've got to know that it's not so overwhelming. It's never going to be forgotten. Our parents that we lost but you also have to live a new life with their memory and their inspiration in your heart still. So you can plow on through life. Right. And that, that's really it. And we, we would do our, our parents uh, an injustice if we didn't try to do that. I agree with you. That's so beautifully said. I'm glad I have it here on tape so I can play it back to me when I'm feeling, you know, a little bit of a mess. Um, with all the people that you've spoken to, and I know you've had so many guests on your show, what's the most common rewiring you've Ooh. been hearing about not actually since covid i'm curious to know since covid i mean other than the usual drugs and alcohol which people are <laughs> rewiring to get through which listen i'm not condemning at all i'm all for it but other than that during covid what has been the most common rewiring um value self-value they thought that their value was was one Thing or two things or whatever it might have been before COVID. And life is just a different value to them now. How they spend their time, how they spend it with their family, how they choose to communicate, to improve themselves from fitness to getting healthy, to reading, whatever it is, people just, it's a new kind of self-worth and self-value that I see tons and tons of people talking to me about. And that's really exciting. And for me personally, I was the same exact way. I also had a rewire during COVID. And I just looked at myself completely different when I just went internal and said, what is important to me again, right? And um, my daughter and my family, even though we can't be face to face, I make a better effort, I feel, to communicate whatever medium I have in my hands. And so I, I say, I think value, self-value. Yeah, I, I like that. But your kids, how many kids do you have? Uh, I have one daughter, 14. 14, 14 okay. 15, yeah. 
So it's easy for you to say self-value. Yeah, it was very hard for me. I mean, I had two, what is it, six-year-olds. They weren't even six at the time, running around twins, you know, <laughs> driving me crazy. So I couldn't really, you know, it took me a while. You know, I'm going to tell you, I even changed my perspective or rewired now because looking back, I thought it was so hard having them in Zoom and, and catering to every whim. And looking back now, it was such a great time. We had nowhere that we needed to be. Sure. It was really, the pressure was only really kind of getting them in school, but big deal. I mean, in the big picture, it was a blip in time and it really brought us close together. And looking back now, yeah, I do think that there definitely was something beautiful about it in a very, you know, in a very romantic and sad way, if you will. It's, it's true. I told myself, and I'm telling people around me, I'm sharing with you that, you know, COVID really saved me, honestly, because I was running around the clock producing Phoenix Fashion Week, right? Hundreds of designers. I'm helping them with their brands and, and going forward, get sales, push, help, et cetera. And just not much time personally left, right? And then chop that up. Uh, during COVID, you know, um, Jada and I got to hang out and, and talk about real things. And and I'm, I'm a cheer dad and learning more about these moves and stretching and, and how to fly and all those kinds of things. And quite frankly, I'm not going back to the pre-COVID Phoenix Fashion Week grind and I'm just, I've just told myself that. So is it me playing my day better? Is it me playing the team better? 100%. Isn't that a better fashion week now? It is already. Um, and so I've become a better executive director because I'm taking things off my plate that really didn't matter, Rich. And I'm just trying to put things in forward and put them into scalable systems that can be duplicated without me, without me. I don't want to be the bottleneck. I don't want people to say, oh, you know, the guru here. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be a great team that accomplishes little things every day and collectively um, it's another great fashion week. You know what? I think that's beautifully said. And I think it's so cool that you're a cheer dad. I actually had a guest on Shannon Woolsey. Um, she was from the Netflix series cheer. I don't yes. know if your daughter saw that. Yes, she was on that um, documentary on Netflix, which was pretty cool. It is a very strenuous sport, right? Man, I am, so impressed with these ladies, uh, young ladies, more times than not, what they have to do as an individual uh, to be a part of a wheel, right? A spoke in a wheel. And if, if one spoke is not on point, it, it really holds back the entire team. So when you talk about working as a unit, it's really, really impressive. And they're going through those times, right? Adolescence, you and I talk about these, these years in our lives and uh, you're being pulled in a bunch of different directions. People are testing your, you know, your ideals and testing your heart and what you're about. And you're trying to figure out your self-worth while you're trying to work in this team effort. It's, it's really a lot. And uh, that cheer um, TV show, as well as, you know, being a part of her cheer team, I've learned so much. And I try to give her little nuggets of information from being an athlete myself, but it is completely different. And uh, I give props to those women. Yeah, it's incredible. Watching it was crazy. Has your daughter ever gotten injured as a result? Man, does, you she know, uh, does she want to compete? Is the, does your daughter want to compete? She does. She does. So they wow. just, um, you know, Robert Pauls, they just made state this past weekend, their first competition of 2021. Amazing. And so she's had some bumps and bruises, right? Uh, some achy knees and things like that. And we're always you know, really cautious of these, but I've heard some, you know, concussions for some women, right? Some bad knee injuries and things like that. And we just broken bones, broken bones, right? They're flying. I mean, what are they? 10, 12 feet in the air. Yep. I mean, would, would you do that? I, Never. I, I would fly 12 feet in the air. I wouldn't fly and I wouldn't catch them. I'd be distracted by a fly. <laughs> They'd land right on the floor. 
or I'd be distracted by somebody's leggings that I thought were like tacky. I mean, who knows? I don't know. But it's incredible that she does it and that you go along with it. Because really, at the end of the day, all of that training is literally for minutes, for minutes of a competition. But I want to go back to you and how you started, because I noticed that you're a self-taught designer. Now, how does that work? Man, so I'm going to go back to uh, my time in college uh, making T-shirts really just something i stumbled oh across. somebody went to college look how fancy you are <laughs> no my high school dropout fancy right. college okay so tell me about college man i went to arizona state university a walk-on wrestler and if you know anything about wrestling uh there's these independently strong people you know and again it's another rewire uh, i had a coach that said i think you've got good balance i think you can be good at wrestling and it was so funny because my mom was like wrestling like jumping off the top rope wrestling and she, he's like, no, like actual wrestling, like Olympic style. And we really didn't even know such thing existed other than watching those um, WWE kind of things. And so getting to college and being a walk-on where you're not offered a scholarship, you got to work harder than everybody else with no real you know, accolades. And I was great as a, as a junior college guy, national champion in Greco-Roman. But when you get to Arizona State, which is a national champion school, it's the levels up here. And so it really taught me how to be an independently strong person. And so in fashion, I feel like you, you got to trust your instincts, trust your gut. And when you're on the mat with another opponent, you really can't blame anyone, team, coach, parents, nothing. It's just you, mano and mano. You won or you lost. That's it. And I really apply that to fashion because you got to remember what you did wrong or or can improve and then move on to the next match. And, and that's really fashion. It's the next season, right? You're only as good as your last season. Right. And so yeah, it's a good that. way to it's a good way to uh, in perspective. You're right. It's I mean, but it's daunting. I mean, what made you go from like wrestling? You seem like a real sports guy. Mm-hmm. What did you start designing at first? Like what was yes. the first thing you started designing? Arizona State University Polo Club T-shirt was the first design. And I made it for ten dollars. I didn't know anything about screen printing and I sold it for fifteen dollars. Right. And so I was making five capitalism. Isn't that 100%. great? It was, it was amazing. Listen, for saw, now, we still have it. Fingers crossed. Let's see. Let's hope. True. That's very true. Very true. <laughs> because back then, you know, it was more about watching a woman walk down um, Palm Walk wearing one of my T-shirts. And I just stared at her, you know. And she's probably like, why are you staring at me? I was like, that's my creation, you know. Someone gave me a few dollars out of their pocket for something I created that didn't exist. And that, I was bitten by the bug. And my parents were like, do not do fashion. Do not do creatives. No arts. Please just go make a bunch of money and do your thing. But I was bitten with the creative bug, Rich. And, and so from uh, the just, T-shirt, where, where do you go after the T-shirt? Like, what? Sure. how did that evolve? A bunch of women inside the training room at Arizona State University were athletes, women athletes. And they said, you're making some great T-shirts. You should make some stuff for us. I was like, not a girl. You know that, right? Not a girl. <laughs> they go, well, women spend more money than guys on apparel. Hmm, I'm listening. Um, we wash and need clothing more to work out. Mm, I'm listening. And they felt that they were underrepresented back then. You're talking, this is pre-Lululemon come to the States. And so I put together a brand from scratch again, Femme Athletic, and made sports bras on campus that we were just selling to women athletes. And that was really my, my cut and sew uh, step into it. And I made 5 million mistakes and just kept getting a little better, a little better. And um, ultimately joined the fashion team as a volunteer, Rich, it wasn't me and my idea. I just joined with some really hard work. And then I was really able to move up from there, again, making mistakes along the way. And then ultimately, um, I met you. 
and, and you realize, because from our conversation, I had the same problem or not same problem, but I did the same thing, made mistakes. And I don't know how many mistakes I probably would have not made had I even gone to college or gone to design school or, you know, I think I probably would have made about the same mistakes. I don't know how different it might have been. I totally agree. I think that um, everyone has their own journey and uh, you're meant to take it that way. You're meant to do exact same steps you did. You wouldn't want to change those. I, I know for a fact, you and I might not have met. But true. Exactly. Or Brad. I might not have met Brad either. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm sorry you had to meet Brad. He's so annoying. <laughs> I'm kidding. He's actually the better half. I can't even do it. I can't do the computer. He's got to log me in, log me out. I mean, I always say this, the fact that he hasn't smothered me yet in my sleep is a miracle. <laughs> We're together like 20 years. So God bless him. So you now, Brian, went from designing, and I don't know if you're still designing. Are you still designing to this day? Because I know you're consulting and you're manufacturing. Yeah, yeah. I do a lot, ton of consulting every day, and I do a lot of private labor for other companies. So I do put my hand into the design bug every day, but for other people. And, and I like it that way. But I keep thinking in the back of my head, Rich, that uh, I may bring back Film Athletic for like a vintage collection. And then I would help, help, have you help me with uh, some of your celebrity clients. So I keep that in the back of my head. Please do. It sounds amazing because I love that idea. I'm going to tell you a little story back in the day when I when I joined Equinox about 25 years ago, maybe even more. I was very young at the time. I had just moved into my apartment in Chelsea and Equinox was not corporately owned. It was individually owned. And I guess the owners were very smart. I forgot what their name was. What they did was they gave modeling agencies free passes for the models to go to the gym to work out. So naturally you would walk into an Equinox. Well, they only had one at the time and you'd see Marcus Schenkenberg. You'd see a whole bunch of models. I mean, so many, I didn't know the names of, but I knew Marcus cause we wound up being gym friends and it was literally like being at a party every day. And the cutest thing was they had all these vintage workout clothes. They had these vintage Adidas pants that went a little wide at the bottom that fit so great and the shirts with the collar. And I remember thinking, I want to come here every day. And I did. I got into working out after after work. I'd go to the gym. I'd go out to dinner, go home, go to sleep, wake up, do it all over again. But I remember loving the fashion because there was a vintage feel to it. And I find that now with all the leggings and the Lululemons and everything is so see-through and vulgar. And I don't know. <laughs> I think it's a great idea. Go for it. I'm thank with you, you. Thank you. I'm going to um, definitely tap you for that for sure. Um, it was cotton lycra back in the day for me, right? That's what I, that's the fabric I, I started in. Right. And um, I in my um, showroom here, I have everything still sitting here. Even, even my daughter's going to try some things on, and we're going to maybe start there, right? Just keep it real easy. And uh, I'm not going to overwhelm myself, just a little vintage collection. And I talked to – how about this story? One of my daughter's teammates' mom was one of my Femme Athletic customers and then told her daughter – I still have Brian sports bra. Now I got credibility as a dad at that point, at that point. Right. For so sure. I, was like, hmm, I, should, I really made some good stuff back then. I should definitely give it a shot. You should give it a shot, especially for what you want to do, because I don't really see in the fashion business, anything lacking, which is funny. It was one of my questions to you. Is there anything even lacking in the fashion business? Oh man, that's a great one. I think that, um, I still think that categories like petite, is still underserved. Plus size is still underserved. I think those two categories are still underserved big time because they just get, you know, no pun intended, the short end of the stick sometimes, uh, yeah. right? 
and they need they really want to wear fashionable things and make them look just as good as anyone that might be five seven or whatever it might be and so i think designers should really challenge themselves to make those two areas fashion forward you know that's a great answer because that's not what i meant and what i love it is that you answered me exactly the way you the way you heard it, which is great because yeah, I kind of agree with you. I think even for men as well. I mean, I like things very small within an inch of my life. So I buy smalls <laughs> and I take them in. And then I wonder why everything rips. I always look at Brad. I go, I buy all this expensive clothes. I dry clean my shirts two or three times and they start ripping. He's right. like, because you take it in within an inch of your life. I'm like, I can't help it. That's how I'm comfortable. I'm the only guy that feels comfortable in very tight clothes. You've been wearing the floods, right? The short pants for yep. two decades. Yes. Before it was cool. Yes. I remember being in Paris with my nephew, Freddie, who I would go to, you know, to the shows with. We would be there on business and it was maybe 15 years ago and we'd be walking down the street and he said, everyone turns down to look at our ankles. And he goes, we're in fucking Paris. What the fuck are they looking at? We're in Paris. They should know this. Because me and him dressed exactly the same way. I got my whole family to dress that way, which was which was kind of cool. And I still like it. Oh, that's awesome. What a great story. <laughs> so, yeah. So, like, I have these mantras that are so contradictory to the fashion business. One of them, and it's funny because I've learned these things by being in the fashion business, whether it was in a good way or bad way. My mantras are this. You have to put your best foot forward, not just in fashion, but in every aspect of your life. I had to do that by charming my way to get collections, being nice to people. I've seen people before me yell and scream at you know CEOs or designers or sales reps to try to get collections. And I always knew that's really not the way to go. Aside from the fact that it was so unattractive to look at, I always knew there was only one way to do it and it was kind of to be nice. It was kind of like when I got in trouble in school, my mom would come to see the principal. It would be me and my three friends. Of course, my mom was always late. I should be the last one to show up. My friends' moms would come and talk to the principal, but they would be yelling at the principal. My son doesn't do that. Why are you calling me up in the middle of the day to come here? They'd all be yelling. I'd hear my mom in her high heels clicking down that long hallway. She was the only one that would wear heels. You know, the women in school wore rubber soles, I guess, because they knew of the noise. My mom, I'd hear that little... I'd look out the, the door and I'd see my mom walking towards me, of course, all dressed up and, you know, looking beautiful. And the first thing she would do is she'd come into the office and look at the principal and say, I'm so sorry. What did he do this time? And I wanted and and he would look at her and go, don't worry, sit down, Richie, go back to class. And I remember thinking, I don't want to go back to class. I want to be here with my mom. <laughs> you know, seeing her even in that scenario was like a breath, a breath of fresh air to me. So anyway, getting back to my point. So putting your best foot forward to me, it was a very important factor. But it seems like it's very hard to do in the fashion business because it is so cutthroat. Right. Right. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's an ego driven industry. Right. That also has um, a lot of people disguised with lack of confidence. And so with lack of confidence and a, fo- and a focus on your ego, right, um, it's just kind of a recipe for disaster in, in my book, right? And so I'm always saying in fashion, you should definitely be super nice first because at least you can listen and hear what's going on. And there might be some miscommunication and what happened before. You might hear something that's unique to you or you guys parallel on that you can really focus on. 
And it's been way, way better that way for me, right? Obviously, everyone has their ups and downs and you have your, your meltdowns and things like that. They're, they happen as a human being. But in reality, all the times that I've had maybe the worst situations in my mind, when I went in very nice and try to work through it, it always worked out, Rich. It really has. I, I, I should get a list of that, but it's always worked out. Brian, you've got to put this in a book. This is yeah, so amazing because you are a great, you need to do, you need to put this in a book. I'm sorry to interrupt. Continue. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, thank you. And um, it's, it's just better. Right. And so we're, you know, we're talking to you and, and Brad and Brad's so nice. And Christine um, and your team. And we just said, Hey, you know, thank you so much. And Hey, I appreciate that. Like just little things that don't even really take any time to do, but I know that Brad and the team just appreciate it, you know? Hey, can we change this time to that time? No problem. Let's try to work around. Hey, you know what? I completely forgot to call you back. It's completely my fault. Can we talk tomorrow? Yes, we can do that. All those things just stack up to just going another foot forward. And if nothing else, they say, I'd like to work with them. And if you can get past, I'd like to work with them, and you really are talented, you can do a lot together. I love it. The other mantra that I do have is, the grass is not always greener. Now, I learned that in a personal way through clients and customers that have shopped at my store for many, many years. You know, we've had socialites. We have, we've had so many women of all different walks of life shopping at Chucky's, and I've heard so many stories. But the saddest ones were always the ones where people would leave their husbands for somebody else just because they either grew apart, which I always say is code for there's somebody else. And at the end of the day, they always try to get back with the husband and the husband wants nothing to do with them. Now, I'm sure there are many examples of that the other way around. But however, I was in the women's business, not the men's business. So I <laughs> heard quite a few stories like that. And that's when I realized the grass isn't always greener. Me and Brad are together 20 years. We've gone through couples counseling. That Putting that aside for a second, I can even... Um, implement that in the fashion business. Because when I started designing shoes, when I started seeing how popular other shoe designers became and who wore their shoes, I would get anxiety thinking that everyone had it better than me. And then I just, I realized that I couldn't do what they were doing. I couldn't give away thousands of pairs of shoes, you know? And so it's like the grass is not always greener has really formed into, and I have to remind myself that because to this day, I still sometimes think the grass is always greener. Why are my kids on the short percentile of things? You know, why are they annoying today? Do all kids wake up at 630? And <laughs> I the grass is not always greener. Do you find that as well in the fashion business? Yeah, you know, um, I would say because of social media, it's really, really bad now. Because every designer, as a young designer, they feel that everybody around them is doing so much better than them, right? And it gets them down on themselves. And I try to help people kind of course correct and say, can we just work on the people that like what you do? And let's find another person like that, right? Because I'm telling you, that other brand over there, they have their own challenges that you can't see below the waterline. So actually, don't even worry about them. Yes, you need to know what's going on with your competition. But in reality, you need to live their life through social media, Right. Just work on your own thing and just go little by little. And so it's, it's a very tough thing, I think, with social media because I'm not on social media a ton. I'm really not. Probably because of that reason. I really don't want to look at a bunch of other things where people are doing better than me. And it might challenge me. So I just try not to go there too much, you know. But I think these younger people are on it so much. They think that the girl sitting next to me in class is better than me. The guy that does tennis shoes like me is better than me. Everyone's better than me. And that's just a lot on the psyche, I think. 
Brian, we speak the same exact language. I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm completely on the same boat as you. I'm not a big social media person. I go on, I have a private account for my kids. I have one for business. I go on for two minutes after two swipes. I'm bored. I have no patience. God bless you with your new watch, your new boat. You're, you're amazing. I love you. I got a life to live. I got a life to live. How do you teach your daughter, how do people, I mean, you're a smart guy, you've gone through so much in your career, you've switched gears, you've rewired, you're a successful guy. How can you teach, I mean, you've obviously done something right with your daughter because I mean, the discipline you need to become a cheer, you know, cheer, uh, I hate to say cheerleader, it sounds yes. very, you know, but to be a cheer person is so difficult, so she's had discipline. How do you right. teach her to not get roped into the social media? Right, right. And she said something maybe a week and a half ago that she was off of Snapchat, right? So she decided on her own uh, just to quiet down the noise. And I was really surprised. I was like, why? And she said, because just so much going on. I just want to take a break from it. I was like, that's amazing, you know? And so I try to instill inner value with her and self-confidence. And unfortunately, you and I can't do it for our kids, but we try to instill it to them and, and be consistent with saying, here's how you build real confidence, right? And, and real self-confidence comes from inner but we're gonna tell you how to go there, but you've got to really walk that, that journey yourself. And so I think when she then sees what happens out there, people having meltdowns online and things like that, she's able to kind of grasp where she kind of put, should put herself. And, and so that's what I hope. And I think over time, we'll just hope that she gets a little better, a little better, she improves, you know? And that's really it. Unfortunately, there's so much going around it. You feel like you've got to push into it, right? And you feel like maybe you're not so cool if you don't do all the Snapchat stuff all the whatever stuff, like everybody else. And I'm just telling her, be a good friend face-to-face. -face. Just, just be that person. Great advice. I came across that whole you know, scenario when I was one day in the stores in the middle of January, and I might have said this story already on the podcast, but people already know that I'm very repetitious. So <laughs> I, I repeat the same thing. But I remember being there on a very snowy day years ago, and, and the girls that were in the store were all ooing and eyeing. When I came out of my office, they were all on Instagram, and they saw a friend of theirs that they used to work with on a boat somewhere, I think in St. Bart's, drinking champagne. You know, they were there for weeks. This girl that they work with was there with her friends there for weeks. And, you know, I remember going back to my office and thinking, this is not good. And this was years ago. I remember thinking, this is not good. This is not good for these girls. This is not good for people that might have the, you know, the personality to want to follow everyone, to be a follower or to be jealous or to think the grass is always greener because somebody is there. So I was, um, that alarm bell rang very early for me. Right. It's, it's funny you said that. I, I agree. Um, I don't know if you remember what year that was by chance. I can tell you about, I would say it was a roughly maybe six years ago. Okay. Yeah. 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 Is there Instagram um, six years ago? There was, there was. There yeah, it was, was about six years ago, maybe five, six years. It was in the very beginning. I wasn't on it. I, and I was, was going, it was going there. It was, I was starting to go there. Yeah. And the other mantra that I, I say is um, one size doesn't fit all, which happens to be very applicable to fashion and not just literally, but figuratively. You know, what's good for somebody else is not necessarily good for you. Like for yes. me, I'm not a good social media person. If when people tell me I have to be more on social media, I get anxiety and I say, I'm out tap. I'm out. I don't need to be popular. Don't like me. I'm not a kid anymore. You know, let me be what I want to be. So not everything works for everyone. And I know social media is a very big part of people's success. Right. right. Not for me.
right? Man, we, you, you bring up a good point. It goes back to young designers. You have to, A, know your brand, what your brand stands for, your pillars, right, of value. And then you've got to apply whatever tools and experiences you have into your brand and then rinse and repeat. Um, and then another brand, they do it their way. You, you have to understand that. You cannot do what, like you said, the person giving away thousands of dollars of shoes, you can't do that for your brand. Chucky's is this way, right? It's relationship building, one-on-one, right? That's it. And then people, you build your own reputation that way. And so because people think on social media, you can do it overnight, which maybe some people do, I guess, but you and I both know it's not everyone. It's, it's very few people that have made that overnight thing. You've got to build it one by one, your way and your brand. But if you never even know what your brand's about because you're trying to copy everybody else, you 100% are going to be there. It's going to have heartache. Well, that's part of the whole fashion business. I mean, back in the day, from the very beginning, I remember one of the first cases of being sued. I think it was uh, Yves Saint Laurent sued Ralph Lauren for the tuxedo dress. It was back in the early 90s. I think uh, Yves Saint Laurent was one of the first people that did the tuxedo dress in the 60s and then brought it back in the 90s. And then Ralph Lauren had done it at the same time. I mean, I do believe that two people can think of the same thing. I mean, I've thought of things. You know, when I was doing my acrylic heel, I saw it back in the 80s and 90s from Giorgio Armani. I don't remember seeing it recently, but then suddenly everyone was doing it. And we all could have copied each other. Who knows? But I mean, you know, at least it was something I believed in. And the story of uh, Ralph Lauren being sued by Yves Saint Laurent. And the irony is that later on, Louboutin sued Yves Saint Laurent for putting a red sole on one of their shoes. You know, they were doing they were doing something where it was the tribute shoe. It was this very high heel platform that they were very they had a huge success with. It was all over the magazines and everybody was wearing it. And each color, one in order to change it around, I guess, because they kept doing the same shoe every season, they would take one color, they did it in yellow, green, navy, and red. Crazy colors, but they would cover the whole sole in the same color as the upper. The red had the red sole. And they were being sued by, by Louboutin. Yves Saint Laurent wound up getting sued by Louboutin, which I don't know how that ended. It was so ridiculous because nobody owns the color wheel. I mean, can nope. you imagine? Right, right. You don't own the color wheel. And you and I both know that there's not too many patterns anyone owns anymore anyway, right? And everyone, uh, including Christian Louboutin, probably was inspired by somebody else with a colored heel that we don't even know about, right? So um, I would say it's just your iteration of that idea and how you choose to run with it. Because if you're looking to be the next Facebook, okay, you're never going to get off the ground. Just make your own social media deal and do it a little bit different than he does it and, and go hard, right? I love that. Um, yeah. So for so many people that I know, they like to start businesses. You know, a lot of young people I know have talents of either creating jewelry, knitting hats and scarves. And I bought them for my shop. I love supporting um, young people. I love supporting designers that are not on the mass market. So if somebody is knitting their own hats and scarves, I'm the first to buy it because I know how many could she knit at one time. You know, I'm Chucky's is going to be one of the few stores that's going to have it. You know, beautiful cashmere hats. You know, I don't know if you knew this, but I didn't know it. Cashmere hats and beanies are so great for girls because they don't leave you with hat hair when you take it off. Oh, I didn't know that. I did not know that either. I was taught by the designer. I said, well, why do I need such expensive, you know, beanies? Can you make it for me in wool? And she explained to me, she loves it because she can wear her cashmere. It's so soft, wear it for hours, take it off. And she doesn't get hat hair. Wow. So, I mean, who would have thought? I'm going to use that. I, mean, I'm, I'm, I love that. I love please that. use that. I mean, they should be paying me for that information. <laughs> that in itself. 
But um, yeah, so I like supporting these young designers. What, what you know, on your podcast with all these people that are rewiring, and as I said earlier, where thank God still in the capitalist mode of the country. I hope it continues. How can young people who have these talents get rewired during COVID to be inspired to sell stuff now? I mean, nobody's yeah, yeah. going anywhere. Right. I think um, collaboration, working with teams and, and being open-minded to things that different perspectives. I think that makes you feel a little more comfortable because you're with a few different people, right? That also may be on the struggle bus. And then you guys come up with something together or it plays off of each other, right? So we're doing a sip and sew Saturday event with a young designer that's going to sew some shirts right in front of you. And then we're also going to have someone um, that is doing craft tequila, mezcal cremio. And together, sip and sew Saturdays. That just works, right? They're both emerging brands in different industries, but together, they can probably bring double the people there, right? I love it. I think sip and anything could work, especially if you're dealing with alcohol. (laughs) Sip and anything. We got to get you one of those shirts. You got to find your size and you you pick your pocket. He's going to sew it right there and then you can match it up and it should be funny. Pretty fun. Pretty fun. Wait, what are they going to do? Repeat that? So, so um, Cumulative, a local brand here in Arizona, he's going to let you pick out your shirt color yeah. and then pick out some cool Southwestern inspired fabrics and then sew your own pocket in the outline of Arizona. And then we're going to have Mezcal Carreño, which is a local craft tequila company here. They're going to be pouring breakfast level tequila drinks. Mezcal. I love it. Put on a shirt, customized for you. No one else has it. And then try a new craft cocktail and then go home and be happy on a Saturday. Uh, to me, that's fun. I would take the kids there. I don't care exactly. what they want to do. They want to go right, to the right. museum. No museum. It's tequila right. day. Learn how Think to make a tequila. Think about the conversation you're having, right? You're Like you said, you're supporting a young, two young talents. And you're going to just be exposed to new things. And we talk about your family and, and how they started doing mezcal and and the process of, of, of curating cactus and things like that and to make it in a drink, you just leave a bunch of information for your head and you can share with Brad, you know, it, it's, it's really cool. And so I, I love it. And we're going to do all kinds of cool things like that. So I think partnerships, collaborations, young people to young people, and they come up with something better together. I love that. I think it's important for young people to still feel inspired and to still feel like they have a chance to do things in the fashion or creative world. I mean, it's not over yet. I think that, you know, I think that the fashion business still has a chance. I don't think that the high couture business is where it was years ago. And I think it's going to be a very long time if it even comes back. I don't know anyone that's willing to pay eight, $900 for a pair of shoes in the beginning of the season. Right. And the reason for that is the internet, right? I mean, you can wait and buy it from Paris. You can buy it from Japan. You can buy it from Spain for 50% off if you can't get it here. So where's the urgency to buy things right now at full price? Exactly. Man, you are so right. I I don't know what the future looks like. I keep going with story and quality. But if if, if those two things meet at the right price point, you've got a shot. If they don't meet the right price point and the story's not right and the quality's not right, it's I agree. I agree with that. I like that with the story. That never used to be a thing of mine, but it has become. I think story is very important now, which I think goes back to social media, why people say people want to see who you are. They don't really care about your shoes. They want to see you. They want to see you. Sure, sure, sure. 
I was a behind the scenes guy, honestly. And uh, I just thought that we could just keep doing these things behind the scenes, but I'm on with you. And I made a pledge myself that I would share my story more in 2021. And apparently people want to hear it. I just never believed they did or cared. I thought it was all about the product, the product, the product, but uh, people really want to know, you know who's driving it. And, and that's why I like you so much. I mean, look at what you and I did just in a month ago. We didn't even know each other, you know, and it's amazing. And I've told, told people about you, you know, countless times, Rich Roddy's energy, everything is so amazing. But you got to listen to this podcast. Now we have two podcasts. I can say you got to listen to Rich. He really goes into another le- level that he couldn't really get to on my podcast. Right. And this today is, is more Rich Roddy. Love it. Well, thank you so much. It's so nice of you. And I'm glad you uh, think of me in that way, but it's so not true. I don't want now I'm afraid <laughs> for you to get to know me too well. You're going to be very disappointed. Uh, <laughs> You're funny. I love it. I love it. Man, I'm just trying to get by. But I was going to say, first of all, what I had so many things. I lost my train of thought now. That was a great speech. I loved it so much about me. I got to play that on a loop. <laughs> I got to play what he just said on a loop to me and for the kids all the time. I love it. I love it. What's next for you? Oh, this is what I thought of. This is what I wanted to say. I was right. You did not want to be in front of the scenes. You were because I couldn't find you anywhere. I couldn't find a picture of you up until very recently. So you really wanted to be behind the scenes. Yes. I will tell you something. Your personality, the way you look and the dapperness you have, I think you need to be out there. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, Why, Why did you want to be behind the scenes? Um, you know, I think, I think I had look, looked at, at fashion as such a, an ego thing and such a front facing thing for so long. And when I remember, I called one of my mentors uh, who I thought was a mentor. And I said, Hey, I've got this idea of helping young designers and helping them to get across, get to the level of success a lot faster, not make all the mistakes I made and all the mistakes you made. And she said, why do you want to do that? Let them go through the pain we went through. I was like, Ugh. I don't think I want to do that. I want them to get there quicker and save their credit cards and save their marriages and things like that. And so it was really weird. And so in general, I just wanted to help people. I really did. I just want them to do their thing and, and, and shine. And I didn't have to shine with them. And so my team was like, you got to get out there more. I was like, I'm good. Let them just shine. It's fine. I don't want them to be about me. But maybe that was because I wanted to be behind the scenes. Right. And now I'm like, mm, let's go for it. I, it's I really timing. Brian, it's timing. One size doesn't fit all. You don't have to do it at the time when everyone tells you to do it or when the universe, until the universe really feels it's right for you. You don't have to do it when people tell you to do it. Right. You're so right. And we said that earlier in the podcast, right? And so it feels good to me now. And I feel, I don't feel rushed or pushed into it. Um, People were pushing me before and I just feel good to do it now. And I've been really, again, I'm a lucky person, really blessed uh, to have people like you on the podcast that really built some confidence inside me as well. And uh, I'm just telling my own story my own way, and you appreciate it. And it's been really, really refreshing to know that. You've done amazing things in your career, you know? And I don't know. Not- I, I'm all right. It's fine. You, you do, amazing. And you and I just connect. And we, we it's about, uh, our, our, like you said, our parallels with our moms. How about that? Yes, Alone. that's true. That's true. I mean, I'm sure you, how long ago did your mom pass away? Man, so 14 years. Wow. I'm sorry to yep. hear that. Yep. It's never easy. I mean, I, I've lo- I lost my dad when I was uh, very young, when I was 10, and I lost my mom seven years ago. You know, it's never the same. Losing a mom is not the same, I don't think, as losing a dad. I mean, granted, I did lose my dad so early that I don't remember, but I always think it's different. And it doesn't matter when you lose a mom. I think that when you're close and you have that connection, it, it's never easy. 
I think it gets easier as time goes by, but it's never easy. I don't want to depress people. Did I bring anybody down around here? <laughs> so, sorry. No, no, you, no, no. I, I, totally, I totally agree with you. You know, um, I lose your mom again, that number one fan. Think about any, anybody in sports. If they lost their number one fan on the football field, it's very tough to do. Um, Not to mention, sure. Brian, and I'm sure you'll agree with me on this. They were the best generation. Yes. Oh, man. Oh, man. I mean, face to face, no social media, you know. Um, they wanted just, for nothing. Yeah. Just just old school, uh, old school love. I, I told my daughter a, a crazy story. Um, I was a BMX bike guy. And uh, my new bike I got, she spent all this money on, you know, single mom. And uh, it got stolen at Kmart, you know, playing video games. Didn't lock it up. Gone. I told her about it. And you know how it is. Your bike's stolen. It's gone. That's it. She's like, oh, no, 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 no. That's, that's not the case. Got out of work, went through the neighborhood that was closest to Kmart, asked apparently every kid in the neighborhood. And then I remember like his next, like, like it happened yesterday. She comes out from around the building with my bike. She oh had shook God. down every kid in that neighborhood, period. It's like, that bike's coming back. And I, I still, like, that's unbelievable. So I, I told my daughter. Brad is laughing. He loves the story. Brad right now is laughing. He's loving the story. So nice. am I. I love your mom. Yeah. Like a superhero. 100%. And so that taught me to uh, knock on every door, never take no for an answer. Because obviously the first kid she said goes, I don't know what you're talking about. It was like the 50th kid that just broke down and said, it's that kid that has a bike, you know, whatever. I don't even know what happened to this day. But my point is, is that you and I both know, you tell that story when you were overseas and you just had to go under her, under her arm to go into the showroom. You can't take no for an answer. You got to keep going. Got to keep going. Right. That's what I did. But yet I am lazy in other ways. I remember losing a hundred dollar bill. Yeah, I'm lazy. That's why me and you would also be a good match. You're a go-getter. I'm like, eh, I give up. You know what I mean? At this stage in my life, eh, I give up. Me and Brad went to the gym in New Jersey. It was, uh, what was that? It's uh, two summers ago. And I remember putting a crisp $100 bill in my gym shorts. And um, we went to go get a wheatgrass or a juice or something. And when we got home, I, I didn't pay with the hundred and I couldn't find the money. Now, Brad is, is Brad has a superhero quality as he finds things, but how is he going to find the hundred dollar bill? Never happening. Of course. So we get home, we walked home. He finds out I'm so annoyed that I lost another hundred because I'm constantly losing things. <laughs> I'm always losing things. It's just crazy. So what does he do? He disappears. I don't know what happens. He leaves and I'm annoyed. He comes back with the hundred. Do you believe it on the street? He, I told him he knew exactly where I took my, my phone out of my pocket, where the hundred was. Right. How he found the hundred was this. He was looking on the floor in front of the spot where we thought I dropped it. Mm -hmm. It was in front of a restaurant that we frequented a lot, a Japanese restaurant called Taka. Yep. Very nice restaurant. The owner of Taka, which he knows, comes out and asks him, what are you looking for? And he said, Rich dropped money. Well, I'm looking for it. He goes, how much money did he drop? He said, a $100 bill and one bill. The yeah. owner pulls out of his pocket the $100 bill, yeah. gives it to Brad. Brad comes home. I mean, who would have thought? How amazing is that story? Right. It's, it's the epitome of life. I mean, I, that's why Brad and I get along as well. We just only talked over email. But asking those questions and communicating and going through all of it, that's what you have to do to get the yes. You, you just have to. And so when it becomes a part of your psyche, um, you just do it in, all the time. It's not a big deal for him to go back and, and track, trace those steps. I've had similar stories like that where 
it was the 17th time I've thought through where it was and it's right there, or it was that person. And, and again, it's a, such a great story for young people to know that that's what you got to do. It's, you got to be looking for the yes, always. I love that. You got, you got to look for the yes, guys. That's what I have to teach my kids. Look for the yes in the most polite way you can and in the most charming way you can, but look for yes. the yes. Yes. And I heard that from um, Kim Gold, the uh, co-founder of True Religion Jeans. She was uh, one she, of your guests. One of our guests, you know, said, always got to look for the yes. And tons and tons of no's. And you just you got to get over it. It goes back to that confidence, right? Um, yeah. As you were figuring out who you are and you feel confident, you're okay to, to weather some no's along the way. Where is she, Kim Gold? Yeah, Kim Gold. She's in... Um, she's uh, Jeans. Which jeans, jeans did she do? True Religion Jeans. That's her. She wasn't the one that said she didn't want the Kardashians in her jeans. That is true. She is that the is one true. that said it. It is. It is. Because, again, she was trying to figure out what she wanted for her brand, right? What was true to her religion. And, and those people at the time weren't true to her religion. And uh, it's a great parallel. That people I love it. I love it. I, I want to re-listen to her interview again. Yes. What is Phoenix fashion? So as a, as a style, I think we are comfortably casual all the time. Uh, we probably started leggings every day to every meeting. And so it's just a real a comfortable, laid back, casual style is what, what Phoenix fashion is. And then it's streetwear, I think, after that. And then it's gala. You know, lots and lots of charities, lots and lots of amazing events before COVID. So those three categories, I think, really lead our style. What's next for Brian Hill? Is there something else that you're going to do other than I know you're also consulting, manufacturing? I know you want to design. I would say that the next big thing for me is I'm doing a book, my first book, Rich. And See, I called it. I called it. I said, Are you serious? Yeah. So for young designers, um, I'd love for you and Brad and your kids to read it. It's really that very beginning of you've got a fashion idea or any idea and trying to really figure out if it really makes sense, if it has legs before you dump a lot of money and time into it. And that this book is, is how to identify your ideal fashion customer is really that it's really easy read. It's also fill in the blank. And when you're done, you should have an idea that makes sense. And uh, I'm excited about that. It's going to happen this year in the first quarter of 2021. Well, I'll tell you, I'm definitely going to read it. We're all going to read it. And after I read it, I'm going to have you back on so we can pick the book oh, cool. apart. Not in a bad way. I'm saying just, yeah. you know, I'm going to want to know the reason for a lot of things. That's sure. kind of my thing. When I read a book and I have a guest on, I like to say, did you really mean this? Did you mean that? Oh, man, I love that. That's so cool. Thank you so I, much. Yeah, my pleasure. I had a guest on. Actually, it was one of my first guests. Her name is Beverly Feldman. She was a shoe designer who was actually really successful. Anyway, so she wrote a book based on faxes that she wrote in the 80s and 90s in the height of her career. And in one of them, she, you know, in the book, she talks about separating from her husband and he wants her to sell the house, but she doesn't want to sell the house because she has five or six dogs. She doesn't know what to do with. And he says to just euthanize them just like that. So she goes ahead and she, this is so not her type. She was German. She starts calling him you fucking German Nazi killer. She goes, it figures you would say that. So now I read the excerpt from the book to her. Right. I didn't, I didn't say it. She said it. And of course, you know, my producer, my PR people, everyone's like, well, maybe you should edit that out. I said, I'm not editing. I'm not editing out. I didn't. I kept it in there. Those are her words. And I thought it was funny. And in fact, I hope he heard, I hope he read it in the, her book. Wow. Brian, wow. I'm excited to read your book. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Come on and talk about it. Thanks so much for coming on Rich in Life. You're such a gentleman. 
And I hate the fact that your voice is so great because every time I listen to us, I'm thinking like, <laughs> oh, it sounds so bad. I told Brett, try to get the mic to get me as sexy and deep as you can. I like your voice. I like right. that New York twang, but it's not too heavy. It's so good. It's so good. You're a prince. Thanks again, Brian. Until we speak again. You've been listening to Rich in Life with Rich Arani. If you liked what you've heard, click subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. Or visit us at richinlife.com. That's R-I-T-C-H in life.com.